I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the schemes and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Step Over Pod. I am Jimmy Dare. With me as always is Max Rappaport. Max, how you doing? Doing pretty well, Jim. So Max, I'm going to do like the third different bit at the beginning of the show that I'm trying out now. I used to do, it was episode 78, here's who wore number 78, and then I was like, let's read a box score from 1978, and I'm like, that's stupid, no one cares. So I'm just going to ask you a trivia question about the flow chart, if you don't mind. Oh, that's, I like that. That's way better. Cool, because I'm, I'm 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 I haven't updated it in a while. I'm going to get to updating it completely, but... Um, let me ask you this. What player can you trace the acquisition of Furkan Korkmaz directly back to? Ooh. Pla- player that was on the roster when Hinky got the job. Uh, it's Thaddeus Young, right? It is Thaddeus Young. Thaddeus Young was traded for a first-round pick, which turned into TLC, Alexei Shved and Luke Bamute. Alexei Shved was traded for a second-round pick, which turned into JP Tokodo and Ronnie Torioff. And then the rights to Sergei Lishuk, who was traded for Jared Cunningham, who was waived, cash. And the rights to Sank Ekyol, and Sank Ekyol was traded for JaVale McGee. The rights to Chuchu Madobam, and the first round pick that became for Con Korkmaz. That's amazing. I had no idea it was that complicated. I, in my head, I was yeah. thinking they traded him for the Minnesota pick, and the Minnesota pick was Korkmaz or something. You nope. forget how, uh, how prolific Sam Hickey was. Yep. Man. I like this is a good bit. Let's keep doing this one. Yeah, I'll be able to do it for you better once it's updated because it's not fully updated. I yeah, still don't have. Very excited to see this. Yeah, real quick, I'll ask you this one more because I just updated this one. Name one of the three assets that Kendall Marshall turned into. Hmm. Um, now this is a trade that was made, I believe, by Brian Colangelo. Um. Shake Milton? Incorrect. Mm-hmm. Close, though. Um, he turned into the least favorable of the Jazz's for 2017 second-round picks, which was then packaged with other things. And that became uh, Sterling Brown, who was traded for cash. Also, Tibor Pleiss. Oh, man, Tibor. Also, the most favorable of the Jazz's for 2017 second-round picks, which turned into Jonah Bolden. That's pretty good. Yeah, not bad for Kendall Marshall, who was... That was a really fun experiment with Kendall Marshall. The Sixers need to stop hiring bald guys to play basketball here. That's the problem. We can trace back. The best one was Gerald Henderson. Yeah, it's a good good thing they didn't get LeBron James, or he would have just uh, completely forgotten how to play basketball. That's exactly right. All right, so Max, we are now... The Sixers played a game last night, went to overtime... They lost. It was very Sixers either way they lost. We'll get to that in a second. But the more important story is we are now probably honestly right around 24 hours after we found out the, the Jimmy Butler trade happened. Uh, you had some time to think about it. You told me before we started recording that your your views on it have changed a little bit. So I want to know how have they changed. I, I think my views have changed uh, in that I've 
given more thought to the the idea that this puts them because of the bird rights they'll have and the ability for them to go over the cap um, to bring him back and and realizing I guess just how much free, how much cap space they'll still have even with him on the on the books. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of making me realize that they've put themselves in a position with Jimmy Butler on the roster right now where um, you can maintain his cap hold in the summer. And we talked about this a little bit, but I think looking at the actual numbers and seeing uh, people like Derek Bodner break it down, um, listening to some podcasts, some nation- national podcasts where they really broke this part down, um, makes me feel a lot more confident. So they'll go into next summer with about $20 million in cap space, assuming they mm-hmm. um, do nothing. They... they maintain the cap hold on Jimmy Butler. They um, maintain the cap hold on TJ McConnell. And uh, this is assuming that the Reddit cap hold goes away because he's making $20 million. So it doesn't really make sense to, uh, to keep that, but, and Wilson Chandler also and Mascala and all those guys, but basically they can give themselves $20 million of cap space in the summer. Um, That can be expanded if they're able to find a home for Markel Fultz. So the, the thing that interests me about this is Markel is making about eight or $9 million next year. Um, Uh, I think it's in the low nines or or it's like 8.9 or 9.1. It's around there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So about 9 million. Um, If they can go into the summer um, with Jimmy Butler, having played through the season. And also I think that it, the other factor is that I'm kind of appreciating more um, how much more attractive the Sixers might be as a as a destination with Jimmy Butler on the team, having seen hopefully him bring them um, to the Eastern Conference Finals or, or competitive in the playoffs more than they were last year. Um, and, and my hope is that you get to that point. You have $20 million. Maybe you can sign someone for that $20 million. Like maybe you're able to get Kemba Walker or maybe you're able mm-hmm. to get a combination of guys or maybe you're able to convince whoever, you know, whatever max level guy you're looking at um, to come aboard. You can come to an agreement where you find a home for Fultz, hopefully getting some decent value back or something back. Um, and you do that only if you have something lined up to sign a max free agent and you have some wiggle room, like they, they're going to be, you know, they can basically sign a max free agent. So close to max, so long as it is not a 10 plus year veteran. Uh, so Kevin Durant would be out um, someone of, of that status because they'd make closer to like 38 million, but you can get to about $30 million in cap space by just maneuvering, trading Jonah Bolden, trading Markel Fultz. And at that point, it's like, is Jimmy Butler willing to sign and just take a couple million dollars less if it means that you're signing another max guy to play with him? Um, right. And I think that flexibility that I hadn't really considered before is making me feel better about the trade. Um, and I think, too, just knowing that with that amount of cap space, even if they don't make those moves to get a max guy, or even if, Mark, let's say, Markel Fultz finishes out the year strong, is good in the playoffs, and you don't really want to dump him even if you're getting some value back to make room for a, a signing to free up $9 million, like you can just use those 20 million to fill out your roster. You can bring JJ Reddick back on a smaller deal. You can sign a Trevor Ariza kind of player. You know, you can fill out the roster around Butler, Simmons and Bede and Fultz um, right. in a way that I think could be really successful. So that's just making me feel a little bit more confident than feeling like they kind of locked themselves in on this roster. Yeah. It seems to me, the scenario, those two of those two scenarios. I mean, we'll see how Butler plays here and how it all works out. But like, I I would prefer the latter one most likely, because I think if you bring in that other you know max or close to max guy, 
then you're at the point where everyone else on the team you're essentially signing to those you know those vet minimum deals like a lot of contending teams do like you know a lot of the guys in LA that aren't a part of the young core sign to those deals people sign with Golden State for that money all that kind of stuff and then the team the, the identity of the team becomes very weird cuz you're not as good as the warriors so like it's not like oh well who cares about these guys getting the championship anyway um, and then also it becomes a, a, a depth issue. I mean, the team already has depth issues. Um, and then just kind of bringing on, you know, mid, like low to mid-level NBA vets just to fill out a roster. Um, again, could work out really well. But to me, it's that seems like the less ideal of those two scenarios, personally. Yeah, and I, I might agree with you that, that uh, especially right now you look, and I think a big three of... Embiid, Simmons, Butler, even assuming Fultz doesn't break into that conversation or he fizzles out or just is an ancillary piece, uh, the, similar to the way Sarge was. Like, I think those three guys are good enough. I mean, it's a an Embiid, a top 10 at least player, maybe getting in close to the conversation of like MVP candidate in Embiid. Uh, you have Ben Simmons, who's a top 20, top 25 player. And then Butler's probably top 15 also. Um, if yeah. he's healthy and motivated and all those things. So I think that alone, like that's good enough for your top three. And then it's more about like, can we fit shooters around them? I think JJ Redick is really valuable um, to that group. And I think he's going to be awesome. Um, hopefully inserted into the starting lineup along with those three. And I think that maybe makes me feel like, okay, even if you can go out and sign a, a max guy, let's say Kyrie wants to come or whoever it is um, in the summer, it's like, I, I might rather bring back Redick on a $8 million a year deal or whatever. Uh, try to sign, you know, I, I I don't have the name in front of me, but someone more in like the Ilyasova ilk, you know, or like a Trevor Ariza kind of got like, just kind of fill out yeah. your roster with guys who will fit and make, you know, have a good like nine man rotation kind of, similar to what the Celtics have, right? Where they have right. some top guys and then they have like a really nice core around them. Um, I don't want to be a team that just has four guys and that's it. And then, you right. know, you're starting um, Mike Muscala at the four because you don't have anyone else. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Redick, I, I, it will be 35 next year, just also to note that. That's fair. I, yeah. I, I think he's going to age well, though. Like, I think they, I think he will... Uh, in the same way like Kyle Korver has, right? Like I think, or in the same way that Ray Allen did, right? I don't think he'll be what Ray Allen was at age 37, but I think uh-huh. he can be what Ray Allen was at the very end of his career where he's still a 20-minute-a-game guy and just is able to space the floor and like he's not going to lose the shooting stroke. He might right. not be as good with the ball in his hands and able to like dip in and, and you know get to the rim a little bit and shoot from mid-range and pick and roll and whatever, Um but if he can just be a spot up guy, that would be great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I feel. I think I generally feel the same way about the deal that you do now, right? Because like yesterday was like the reaction of losing two core key members of this team for their, you know for Covington for the last like four years, right? And for uh, Dario the last two. Um, and then now it's, you know, we still won't see Jimmy Butler play for the Sixers probably until Wednesday because the league office is closed on weekends and they have to make the call on Monday. Which, by the way, hot take, I love that. It's a I little silly. It's a little No, I, I don't give a shit. No, it's 2018. Everybody is forced to be working 24 hours a day all the time. Be on call. Fuck that. Put your foot down. We're closed on weekends. 
No, sorry. People got families to go to. They got they need their free time. Screw it. So I'm for that. I'm I'm down with that. Um, but probably won't be in the uniform until Wednesday. So then's when we'll be able to really tell uh, what the deal is. I'll take a couple of games, obviously, to see them. Even more than a couple of games to get all the chemistry together. Probably can't even practice with them until Tuesday if the call's on Monday. So the actual on-court product uh, will need some time to suss out, right? Um, but I think, I mean, like I said this yesterday too, like if you were going to go get a star, first of all, you were going to have to go get a star, whether that be through free agency or a trade. Um, as you know, they they were quote unquote star hunting, as as uh, Brett Pound said in the offseason. and everyone it was basically accepted amongst everyone that you either build a star or you get a star, but you can't win with just two, right? That's just mm-hmm. like the common perception of the NBA modern in the modern era. Um, this is going to have to happen. If it was going to happen, it was going to include Robert Covington. Dario is a good piece that you know I'm sure put the deal over the edge because they obviously don't think Tibbs wanted faults. They want people who can come in and, and play perform right away. I don't know how Dario is going to look defensively next to Cat, who is also not great defensively. That'll be a fun thing for Minnesota fans to enjoy. Um, but yeah, I think I was generally bummed about the missing pieces yesterday. I understand that this happened. Like, I'm not, what am I supposed to tell the little kid in the MCW jersey, you know? It's like one of those deals. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's it's once that's gone and once the product changes, like, this is always going to happen. If the Sixers were going to win a championship, ever, I don't, I think you can, maybe now you can say that, but you could probably very easily say if they were going to ever win a championship, those two weren't going to both be on the team. Unless you brought in, like, LeBron. And that, I think that window just passed. So, um, it gets them to that next step. We will see how it all works on court. We will see how the rotations change, how, you know, how Butler's attitude is coming here. He seems to be wanting to come here and extend his time here. Um, although that doesn't mean he won't ask for a trade from here in two years. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it's it's a big question mark on court, but on paper, it's a kind of a really great move, right? Because you're getting a player who is, you know, should be a top... 12 to 15 player probably if healthy and motivated like you said and playing in the right system uh you got him at a discount because he's been dragging his feet in minnesota and everyone knew he wanted to leave um and you got him coming here where he reportedly wants to stay like that's the ideal scenario Mm -hmm. now it just has to be up to performing well and i i think here here's the thing too that you know, I, I think I often overlook, and I think a lot of people also kind of overlook or, or don't count when they when they think about trades like this. It's like you have to consider, and you were kind of alluding to this, like you have to consider like what you were going to actually do with Covington and Sarge, right? Like Sarge is right. going to be a free agent, not this summer, but the one after. Um, realistically, with what the Sixers are trying to do, I don't know if Dario was someone that they were going to throw the kind of money at they'd need to resign him. Like I could see him... Um, being a, a sign and trade candidate, uh, even being someone who someone throws a ton of money at and restricted free agency and the Sixers don't want to match or trading right. him in the lead up to that free agency because you expect him to sign elsewhere for more money than you want to give him. So like, I kind of look at the Dario piece of it as not being as much value given um, as yeah. you might think just because of that contract. And then Covington, obviously there's the value there of he's on a, 11 12 million dollar a year deal he's a very good defender all those things uh i i guess i i think about you have jimmy butler you're 
hopefully going to throw some money at him this summer to sign him long term. That's the part of it that scares me. But at the same time, um, you're basically saying like, okay, we're going to get Jimmy Butler for these years that we think he's going to be good. Right. And, mm-hmm. and hopefully all five years or four years or whatever they sign him to of that contract, he's still worthy of 30 plus million dollars. But if he's not, if it's only the first two or three years, hopefully yep. three, um, it's not like he's untradeable at that point. Like, it's not like Correct. you're just stuck with him. Sure, it could be an Elton Brand situation where he continues to have knee injuries and just really falls apart and it becomes, or maybe like Gilbert Arenas is a better example, where he becomes like untradeable. But honestly, that can happen with anyone. I mean, that could happen with Joel Embiid, right? Like, right. It's, it's hard to, he's older, right? So that's like the, the fear there. Um, but that that's going to be there no matter who it is, right? There's going right. to be that worry that he becomes um, even like Blake Griffin, right? Like the, the Clippers signed Blake Griffin to this huge deal and then have to move him. But even when they did that, they were, they were trading a guy who was seen as having a bad contract and they still got some value back. You know, it wasn't yeah. like they had to give up a first round pick along with him to get rid of him. Like they got value back and then he actually has turned into a decent player in Detroit again. But um, I guess I'm kind of thinking like, you have Jimmy Butler for these years. Let's say in 2022-23, that season, he's like starting to fall apart a little bit. And you're like, okay, we, you know, we, our core is still, you know, and Beaton Simmons are in their prime. We don't want to waste this. Let's move on. Like, I think you can do that. I don't think it's that hard to move on from Jimmy Butler, Butler at that point. And at that point, you're talking about you've upgraded Robert Covington to Jimmy Butler for whatever the difference in their salary is, $15, 20000000 million dollars. Um, and you've given up Dario for the for the basically what you're what you're giving up then is um, the extra money that Jimmy Butler is going to make versus Covington and Dario, right. and and Dario, in the context of it was going to be hard to resign him and make that all work. So if right. that's the value you're giving up, and you're not giving up anything future, you're not giving up the Miami pick, you're not giving up Fultz, like I'm kind of feeling like you're not giving up that much at all. Um, yeah, it, and it, you got them to take on Jared Bayless. Yeah. Which is huge for you money-wise. Yeah, I'll say, too, that, that I want to give credit to uh, the Sixers for holding on to Jared Bayless, you know, because I think, I think a lot of people were like, why don't you just buy him out at the beginning of the year um, when they could have used the roster spot with Zaire Smith hurt, with Wilson Chandler hurt. And, like, this is why you don't do that, because to make the right. salaries work in this trade, you had to include Jimmy – or you had to include Jared Bayless. And if you hadn't been able to do that – you would have been giving up someone more valuable like Amir Johnson or Muscala or, and you probably would have had to wait until the December 15th. You know, when you sign those guys, you would have had to wait until uh, they were eligible to be traded. Like keeping Jerry Bayless allowed them to make this trade. Now, one thing that's, that's difficult uh, moving forward is uh, all their, with the exception of Fultz, all their money is locked up in guys they want to keep. Jimmy Butler, right. Simmons, and Bede. Like they don't really have, now that Covington's gone, you don't really have, and Bayless, you don't have uh, an easy way of matching salaries in a trade. Um, at the deadline, you could move Muscala, you could move Amir Johnson. I don't think they want to, want to move Redick, but um, it does make it a little more tough to to maneuver. Like if Bradley Beal became available and you wanted to give up the things necessary, it's like harder to make that trade work financially now. Maybe yep. kind of impossible unless they're giving up Redick as part of that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, looking at looking at the deals here. Um, there's Embiid twenty five and a half. Butler will be twenty and a half. Chandler twelve point eight. JJ twelve point two five. 
which also, on according to uh, Spotrack, uh, J.D. Reddick can block a trade. So there's also that. Uh, Fultz is 8.3, Simmons 6.4. Like, yeah, there's, there's no really that guy that, like, you're like, oh, we can use that to dump or whatever. Um, I did think it was interesting. We talked about this yesterday, too, to transition a little bit to talking about the game last night, that the one guy who wanted to be traded wasn't in that deal, um, which is Furkan Korkmaz. And if the Sixers were like, after all, like, hey, we're going to try to make this work with him now, that's great. But I was I was wondering, too, if taking out that draft pick and putting in Korkmaz would put the Timberwolves over the roster limit, which is probably one of the reasons why he wasn't part of it. But he played 23 minutes last night, went 3 for 7 from 3, scored 12 points, had 4 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals, 2 turnovers. So, yeah, I don't know. There was this is, That was obviously a very special case game uh, because you're down three players, essentially, because you're down the two guys you traded and you don't have the guy that's coming in yet. So you're down the opportunity to play any of those really core pieces. So you had to give Landry Shamit 42 minutes, also on the second night of a back-to-back, second uh, overtime game in a row, and it's the third game in four days. So... Uh, that's when you gave, yeah, you gave Shemit 42 minutes, TJ McConnell 34 minutes. Um, it was a, it was a weird game last night, Max. It felt very odd. And it was an absolute mess because everyone was obviously so very, very, very tired. Yeah, it was, it was not great. No, it wasn't. They were up 20, and then they weren't, and they lost. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, they were, they were, the, I'm looking at it now. The third quarter scoring, they were outscored 20, 24 to 17, and the fourth quarter 28 to 22, and then outscored by six in overtime, obviously as well. But like Embiid going four for 15, not great. Landry Shamit going one for 11 from three, not great. Joel Embiid going over six from three, not great. Um, yeah, it was ugly, but that's what happens when you're missing. We've essentially been your third and fourth best players. Not Dario, not this year, hasn't been the fourth best player, but can, you know, over the last year and a half plus. Um, and then the guy who's coming in who's better than both of those guys isn't here yet. Mm-hmm. So that was an expected loss. I didn't really care that they lost that one. And then Monday's going to be weird too because it's going to be the same kind of deal. But then you got Jimmy Butler, and who knows what's going to happen. I feel like this is like just Monday, just like let everybody sit. Just like start Korkmaz, start Bolden. Like, just everyone needs to fucking relax and rest for a minute. Just basically go out and lose that game and just wait for Jimmy Butler to come in. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I wouldn't mind giving uh, Embiid some rest, you know? Yeah. I mean, in the last, in the last three games, Embiid played uh, 36 minutes, 39 minutes, 39 minutes. And then Simmons was 34. Uh... 41 and 38. Yeah, it's it's dead legs all over the place. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a rough, rough, rough patch a little bit until Butler gets here. Then they have Heat Magic, Jazz at home, which I will be at. Also, that's going to be the whole Jimmy Butler's first home game thing now, but let's not forget the Donovan Mitchell situation. So that's going to be an interesting game as well um, to going forward. Yeah, a, a little bit of a B plot there. Not not quite uh, to the level yeah, of the Jimmy Butler which, home opener. Can I also say that I love that now that that's relegated to a B-plot, you know Donovan Mitchell's bad about it. <laughs> he definitely wanted it to be A-plot, and he's like, shit. My story doesn't even start until after the first commercial break now. God damn it. So, uh, I think, Yeah, it's going to... Oh, go ahead. 
No, you go ahead. I was I was changing the subject, so you finish up what you were saying. I was also going to change the subject, so you can go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to say just just to stick a little bit with kind of moving forward this season. Um, I, you know, just looking at after the Jimmy Butler trade, the the depth you've lost in giving up Covington and Charich, which mm-hmm. um, whatever you want to say about their quality as players, they're both guys who are playing thirty plus minutes a game, basically. Right. So you have to replace that somehow. Um, uh, there's been a lot of talk about the fact that the Sixers still have their room uh, cap space MLE that they gave to fucking Nemanja Bialica, who uh, shunned us um, and went to the Kings and is now like tearing it up for them. Uh, but the Sixers yep. still have that. They There's been talk about Melo getting bought out. Uh, there was some talk about Trevor Ariza being kind of on the market just because uh, he's on a one-year deal with the Suns and the Suns aren't going anywhere. I don't know what the Suns thought was going to happen when they signed Trevor Ariza or what Trevor Ariza thought <laughs> was going to happen when he signed with the Suns. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's kind of a thought that like this is going to be a work in progress and maybe there are some guys you can pick up on the, on the buyout market or trade for Kyle Korver or, you know, make those kind of smaller moves, um, kind of poaching from teams who've either underperformed or who are going to kind of shift into tank mode in the new year. Um, but so I think this is kind of, this is going to be rough, a a little rough. I mean, I think, I hope that Jimmy Butler is able to kind of spark them just with, with his talent and, and with his ability to like do the one thing the Sixers can't do, which is like, score at the end of games when when it's tough and you need to like create a bucket for yourself um yeah but i think it's it is going to be a little rough you're going to have some games where Furkan korkmaz is getting minutes that he probably shouldn't get or where jonah bolden's now playing because muscala is out or so I'm, i'm a little i'm kind of bracing myself for the next couple months to be uh a con uh, for the Sixers to continue to under, underperform a little bit where our expectations were just because it's one, there's going to be this um, uh, kind of creating chemistry, right? That's going to need to happen because you're, you're adding um, a high usage player to a team where he's never been before. Um, but also just the depth is really shot right now. Um, and, it, and that's going to make it really tough until they figure yeah. that out. I'm looking at uh, some buyout rumors right now. And four days ago, uh, people were talking about Zebo possibly getting fi- uh, bought out, which, I mean, at his age, I'm not sure how many minutes he's actually going to give you, but there's a there's a veteran presence thing that's can be done there. I love Zebo. Um, I love Zebo. I mean, I, I think we've both been saying for a long time, like, that the ideal, like, backup 4-5 is a Zebo type, right? Mm-hmm. Which, or like Or like a Nene, who's really just like a D-minus Zebo. So why would right. they buy? Why would they buy him out? Um, this is from NBC Sports from four days ago, uh, and it says he's got a lot to let to give. Dave Yeager said we see Tyson Chandler got picked up real quick. Veterans who have experience have been in the playoffs. Those guys are always really valuable. Blah blah blah. blah. Uh, if he's still with the team after the trade deadline, there's always a chance that he becomes a buyout candidate. Until then, he'll be focused on the role of veteran leader on the sidelines. So I guess because he's not playing, it's weird that he's um, not playing because he was actually pretty decent for them last season. I thought. Yeah, I mean, they got a lot of young guys there now, too, though. But, I mean, and that's, like, you know. It says, while the team isn't actively shopping Zebo, there's always a chance he'll finish the season elsewhere. Um, yeah, so who knows? I mean, that's... If I'm the Kings, I'm keeping him around just to keep an eye on the young guys and mentor them a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, I want Carmelo Anthony absolutely nowhere near this team. That's for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So... 
yeah, who knows? I mean, there's me a lot. Like this team, we said the same thing last year, and it turned out to be right in a very much more minor way. But the team at the end of the year that's going to be in the playoffs is going to look a lot different than the team that did a week ago. Not only with the the trade, but the other moves and deadline stuff and and buyout signings and stuff like that. It's going to look mm-hmm. very different. Um, maybe they'll bring Ursound back again. Who knows? Third run with the team. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it's going to be very interesting to see. Again, I think we'll have to have now more podcasts than average because every like after every Butler game, it's like, oh, how's it going so far? How's it going so far? So we'll have to keep up with that. But outside of that, I mean, like I said, the last two games, there's really nothing exciting to talk about. And But we didn't get the questions the last time we recorded. So should we try to take some questions now, Max? Yeah, let's take some questions. Um, cool. Well, do we want to, before we do that, do we want to talk Fultz or Zaire Smith at all? Uh, actually, yeah, because let's talk for a quick second about both of those. Yeah. Uh, let's take Zaire Smith first. What the hell, man? First of all, it's wild to me that, and this is not like in a bad way, it's just like in, it, it's wild to me that you go 19, 20 years of your life without knowing you have a life-threatening food allergy. And then it just happens to happen to you when you are around, like, the best doctors you'll ever be around in your entire life. Like, that's just luck. Because yeah, who good, knows what would have happened him, if he wasn't, uh, like... Not eating sesame when he was, like, 15. Yeah. Uh, he, never had a, he never had a sesame seed in his life, apparently. Well, so I was trying to figure out, like, the reporting on it was kind of mixed, or it was all over the place, or they were talking about his peanut allergy, which is obviously unrelated to a sesame allergy. It's like... Because, yeah, because the, the quote-unquote reporting on it is a press release and a Keith Pompey tweet, and that's it. Yeah. Well, so so I, I was trying to figure out, like, is it that he has a sesame allergy um, that he is aware of and accidentally was fed something that had sesame? Or he's never, like, it's impossible for me to imagine he's never eaten anything with sesame oil or sesame seeds. Like, never a sesame seed bagel, never any kind of Asian food that has sesame oil in it. Like, that's that's in, like seems impossible for me to believe that this is the first time in his life he's been in a position to eat something with sesame in it. Like, my thought was, I mean, it would make more sense to me that he thought something didn't have sesame in it, and it did. Uh, the way I read it initially is that it was not, like, something to knew about. I'm trying to find the wording from the original press release now. I don't know. Here it is. To address an issue that stemmed from an allergic reaction to a food product. Again, just great, great openness from the organization. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. I, I I maybe I just read it that way because I read it that way. I don't know, but that's first of all, just again, truly insane. Uh, that every first round pick has something going on. They should just not have picks anymore. We should just trade them all away. Every every chance we get. Um, but yeah, it's weird. And I I'm assuming now too that that's pushing everything back because recovery from that is keeping him off of his feet as much, and therefore he's not necessarily in basketball shape. Because that was what the last Keith Pompey tweet seemed to imply, is that now the timetable for his return has been pushed back a little bit, right? Well, so, so that was trying to figure that out. Is that more about the surgery that he had than, like, the diet change? That's like he had some surgery that involved his lungs in some way, and that kept him from being able to, like, do physical activity for some time. And That's it, how I read it. Either that yeah. or, like, or that because, like, he was weak from the surgery, so therefore, like, he wasn't able to work out, and now he has to kind of get his strength back. So, like, add a couple of weeks or a month to the original yeah. timetable. Yeah. Again, fucking weird as hell. Also, 
I understand he was in probably in the hospital for a little while. But is it weird? Because when Ben Simmons broke his foot and Joel Embiid broke his foot and Markel Fultz's shoulder fell off his body, we saw them. We haven't seen him. Like, has anybody seen Zaire Smith in like three months? Yeah, no, I've I've thought about that recently, and uh, and now it makes some more sense with this whole uh, food allergy thing. But I, I've thought that too that like, you know, you you normally see a guy sitting on the end of the bench in a suit, and we haven't seen right. that at all with him this season. Or and like, you'll see a picture media day. Yeah, you'll see a picture of them, and they're like, oh, you know, here he is. He's milling about the practice center, um, you know, walking boot, or he's like not practicing, or he's just like talking with a trainer, like that, but nothing. And it makes sense if he was going to be in the hospital for a bit or something. But it's just also that's another crazy thing to it. Hey, guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to The Good Fight podcast feed. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of broadstreethockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for theathletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team, the Flyers. We'll be right back after this message. But yeah, anyway, so going from somebody who almost died from having a sesame seed, uh, allergy reaction or sesame oil or something, to someone who had a much less serious medical issue, uh, quote-unquote medical, uh, and has now had such an up-and-down ride so far this season to Markel Fultz, where sometimes within a single game, he'll look like, a guy who has the potential to be an all-star one day and then also look like essentially me out on the floor. Um, and that's another thing. That, so, so Max, what do you want to say about the way Fultz, especially how you've been playing le- lately, you'll have games where, first of all, I don't think he's attempted a three now in seven games. I think that's the running tab- uh, tabulation. Uh, so our over-under is looking not great. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he'll have moments where he does this like quick spin move in the paint and just absolutely blindsides like a decent defender and scores right over them. Or he dunks on somebody's head or tries really hard to dunk on somebody's head or makes a great finish inside or like a nice little 12 foot jumper. And then there's times where it looked like he kind of snapped out of a fever team and was like, what's, what is basketball? How do you basketball? So I want to know what you're kind of overall feeling on us about Fultz right now. It's like hard to know what to think because I, I thought we, we talked about this. Like I thought he was improving steadily every game through the first, yeah. what, seven games like through that Atlanta game um that was definitely his I thought his best performance he put up 16 and 7 um he attempted five threes and made one went seven of 16 like it was a career high in field goal attempts three-point attempts points um 
And then ever since then, he's been just hesitant. And it's kind of kind of gone back to the way it felt at the end of last year when he played, where, yeah, he's like in transition, going to um, make a nice move and get to the rim and get fouled. But he's pretty hesitant in half court, isn't taking jumpers. And when he does, they're from eight feet. Uh, and right. that's how it's felt the last handful of games. I will say last night against Memphis, um, he looked better again. Although his free throw forms all fucked up again. It's like Yeah, that seems to have regressed big time in just like the last few games. It's weird. It's like it's he's ba- I think in terms of free throws, he's back to where he was at the end of last year. Not the beginning when he would like catch the ball from the ref and like just kind of toss it up before even like setting himself. Yeah. Well, like, uh, well, like it was still like spinning in his hand. Yeah, while well, still spinning his hand, it's. I'd say it's closer to where it was at the end of last year, where it was just looked bad and it was jerky and whatever. Like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Um, it feels like, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's hard. It's a chicken and egg thing, right? Like, I was gonna say it feels like yeah. a confidence thing, just because the ball swings to him these last couple weeks, and he doesn't want to take the shot right he's just it, yeah. it he looks really hesitant and um in a way that Landry Shamit or Furkan Korkmaz or Jonah Bolden like those guys are willing to take shots like right even yeah. though they're young and struggling and some for some of them struggling um or not even really in the rotation like when they're out there they're willing to take shots and that's like all I want from Fultz right like it's fine if he goes yeah. 0 for 6 from 3 that's fine I just want him yeah. to Take the shots and and for teams to not be able to the way they do with Ben Simmons just go oh we don't need to defend this at all because he's not right. going to take it um, exactly and he and you're right like he looks good um, in some areas of the game he looks awesome like last night he had five or six like really nice highlight plays um, and you know chase down blocks and uh, yep. like spinning around to get to the rim and and that awesome play in transition where he got fouled got an N one. Um, so, you know, it's it's frustrating because I feel like if he just took the shots, even if he's going to miss them, with everything else he's doing now, it would be fine. He'd be like a decent bench player for the Sixers. That's what he should be yeah. now that Jimmy Butler's here. But if he's not going to do that, I don't want him getting minutes over Landry Shamit, right? Or, or yeah, Wilson I mean, Chandler or any of those guys. Look at it. I put up his... Uh... He hasn't attempted a three in six games, by the way. He hasn't made one in seven. He was over two the game before that. Uh, pulled up his uh, shot distance chart from Basketball Reference. Uh, shoots 67.4% at the rim, 292 from three to 10 feet, 33 from 10 to 16, and then 23.8 from 16 to three-point range. Uh, according to this, he shot 30.1% on the year on jump shots, 22 of 73. Um, and I don't know if this has anything to do with it, and I'm not going to read into it, uh, but... At home, he is shooting uh, 38.9% from the floor and 25% from three. Mm-hmm. And on the road, it is 46.4% from the floor and 40% from three on two for five. So that, not like that matters. But so just play a little bit better on the road in a very small sample size. But yeah, I mean, there are times where it feels like... I think I made, made this comparison before. Do you remember the Disney Channel show, The Jersey? Uh, I don't. They had this magical jersey... As you do. And when they put it on, they like transformed it like they like quantum leaped into the body of an athlete, right? There are times when Marco Fultz is bringing the ball up and it looks like that just happened to him. That like he's now some like suburban kid who's plays the whole time. He's like, oh shit, what do I do? And there's times where he looks like almost, you know, I, I hesitate to use this word because it's so highfalutin, but he looks transcendent at some things that he does where the, the vision is there and the finishing is there and the handle is there. But 
it's just so inconsistent. Like even on like you know, he's fifty five percent on layups. That's got to be higher. So I yeah. don't know. It's so con- it's 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 confu- it's legitimately confusing. I agree, and, and I, I, somehow more confusing than it was last year. Well, you because you expected and you saw some improvement and expected it to be different, and it's reverting right. in some way, um, which doesn't make sense because you would think he's building confidence, he's building uh, success, taking jumpers in games the way he's learned all summer and the way he was doing early in the season that just looked a little bit better and is reverting back. Although last night he had a really nice pull up, um, driving right, yeah. pulled up from like seventeen feet, and it looked awesome. It looked like as good as I think any jumper he's hit this year's looked. And then he gets in his It seems like he gets in his head. I don't want to like say that it's an anxiety thing or a mental thing, but it's like, it just, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, maybe there is like, you know, if we're going to go the route where maybe there is some uh, shoulder issue that's continuing to be a problem, maybe it's a problem more so when he's set to take a free throw than it is when he's in rhythm and kind of turning his body to take a, a pull-up jumper. But right, whatever it is, the feel of the game. Yeah, whatever it is, if it's whether it's physical or it's like he's thinking about it too much when he's at the free throw line or spotting up, like it's a problem. And and I'd be okay with it more if he one took those shots anyway, and two tried to get more opportunities to pull up. I mean, like you're going to see it with Jimmy Butler, right? Like they're going to put him in right. pick and roll. They're going to have him uh, come around the 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 screen and either dish off to Embiid or Simmons or whoever's setting the screen or he's going to pull up from 17 feet because that's what he does and Marco Fultz is capable of doing that like coming around a screen and pulling up is something that he's actually um, in terms of his jump shots like that those look the best but he doesn't really do that it's like he doesn't want those shots I think you're what you said is really accurate um, that it sometimes looks like he is this like physical freak right this like right high level athlete who is playing the way like if i had that body for like one pickup game the way i would play right where i would still like think that i couldn't do shit just because i'm used to playing pickup and not being capable of getting to the rim or uh capable of like making a step back right but it's it's like he's just a guy in that body sometimes but then other times it's totally different and he seems confident and he's um looking for his own shots it's really bizarre um, and yeah. I think I think a lot of people there's been a lot of talk about what Jimmy Butler's presence is going to do. I mean, I think it'll be positive in that it takes the pressure off him um, and allows him hopefully to just come off the bench. And um, they're just not going to rely on him. Jimmy Butler does a lot of the things that you're looking we're looking for Marco Fultz to do with the ball in his hands. So, right. I, I and I don't buy as much into this idea that Jimmy Butler is going to come in and like, you know, uh Kwame Brown him, right? Like, I don't think he's going to come in and just destroy his confidence. I don't really see that. Well, I mean, we'll we'll find out fairly quickly, probably. But I feel the same way. I feel like a lot of the Butler talk, I mean, you can argue that he forced his way out of two places now and whatever, but a lot of the Butler stuff out of Minnesota really seemed to stem from the fact that he didn't want to be there, period. And then everything else followed. Right, mm-hmm. He didn't want to be out there playing 40 minutes a night because Tibbs just throws the starters out and says, go. He didn't want to be there in probably Minnesota. Who knows? He didn't want to be doing this and that and this and that. And then that just added to the other thing. So if he comes here and he wants to be here, at least for now, before things start to pile up, if he gets frustrated, then I'm not worried about him like walking in and like scared straining Markel Fultz. Um, but again, we could be very wrong. So we'll find out pretty shortly uh, and see how that works. 
Um, but all right, yeah, it's a baffling, unsolved mysteries, Robert Stack-style situation, and we don't really know what's going on. But uh, let's head into questions now, and I'm sure there are many about Jimmy Butler and Markel Fultz. Yeah, there are a lot. Um, so, uh, sorry, I had one in front of me. It just went away. There we go. Uh, Brett Greenberg asked, uh, does the addition of Jimmy Butler mean Brett Brown will finally start running more pick and roll? Uh, he thinks it would help Fultz a lot. Um, also, he asked if an M&M is a pill. <laughs> we, can, we can get to the M&M question, I guess, afterwards. <laughs> Guys, uh, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do think, I do think, I, I just said something along those lines a minute ago when we were talking about Butler, but I think you're, I think he's right that uh, this does allow them to do a lot more pick and roll. Because I think right now it's tough for, you'd like to see more Simmons and Bede pick and rolls than, than what they do right now. But I think it's tough because Simmons isn't a threat at all to do anything other than pass or try to get to the rim himself. Like there's just not that threat. Um, yeah. And you see it, I honestly more with Reddick. I feel like where where Embiid gets the ball like eighteen feet out, does like a handoff that that Reddick comes around, and either Reddick pulls up from mid range and he's awesome from there, or Embiid or they kind of uh, hedge on him and Embiid cuts to the rim and he gets a pass from Reddick. I feel like we've seen that more, and maybe a little bit with Fultz, but we've seen it a lot more with Reddick. Um, I think with Jimmy Butler, that's going to be like unstoppable. Yeah, I think even before Butler, they should they should be running. Um, pick and pops and pick and rolls more anyway. Um, I was I was talking to somebody about this. I think somebody brought it up in Twitter. I don't know if it was Newbeck or or Bodner or somebody. Um, but they were talking about how <clears throat> players like DeAndre Jordan and Tyson Chandler and you know these anyone and basically anyone of any actual seven foot ish size with some kind of athleticism. How many points do they get based on t- just lobs alone? Right, whether they be alley oops or layups or just like lob passes right by the rim, and they don't do that to Joel Embiid, and just like that's a very efficient shot if you can get him in there. And you have Ben Simmons, a man who has incredible size and incredible speed to cut to the basket on a on a pick and roll. You have you'd have to pick one of those guys to cover. He can pass the ball really well. Fultz has less size and less speed, but he has craftiness and he has some passing ability as well. So those pick and rolls should already be happening. I personally think. Because not only that, you're running that kind of pick and roll, and when you have, say, Simmons and Embiid crashing at the rim, then what's going to happen is that's going to leave your guys open in the corners for threes, too. So I think they should try to run that more anyway. With Butler coming in, maybe they will. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely a good idea, and hopefully they try it more often. Also, yeah. when Eminem's not a pill, stop it, guys. Well, it, it's, it's not uh, a pill. It's it's not a pill, but I can't no, tell no, you... Max, don't... <laughs> I can't. I can't give you. Uh, I guess the difference is that you can chew on it in a way that, like those those Advil that look exactly like M and M's and are kind of sweet on the outside. Um, you can't like. There's no shell with anything inside, right? It's just a solid. But also, pill. I mean, like, <laughs> come on. It's a like pill a pill not... candy, though, in the same way that like those old. But band-aid, a pill is like those. A pill uh, is not food. Those band aid gum. Remember the candy that was like gum. Uh, but it was like strawberry, uh, grape, and watermelon yeah. band aids, right? I guess those are band aid candies in the same way that an M M&M and M is like a pill candy, right? But it's a a, a pill is not food. Now someone's gonna did a text tweet us for next week's show is like is a pill food? No, pill is not food, and M M&M and M is not a pill, and M M&M and M is a fuck fucking piece of candy. Just stop it, stop it right now. 
We'll be right back after this message. All right. Uh, the Process Boys, which is another podcast, uh, asked, how do you think Jimmy Jimmy's antics will affect Ben or Markel's jump shot or lack thereof? I don't think it's... I mean, you're not going to have, like, an immediate effect on anything because it's not like... I mean, for, if you think that Jimmy Butler is going to come in here and, like, basically scare them into being having good jump shots, then essentially what you're saying as well is that Mark Alfolds and Ben Simmons have the ability to have a good jump shot, but just no one's mean enough to them. And I just don't think that's real. Um, now, if you're talking about Jimmy Butler, like, taking Fultz under his wing and be like, hey, you know, you should try to do what I do or what JJ does, like, watch our elbows, watch our legs, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, sure, that could help. But I don't think like he's going to come in and scare them into having a good jump shot. That's not a real thing. Yeah, I I agree with that. I don't think it's going to be this like Jimmy Butler uh, bullies them into shooting. What I do think, though, I'll say this is more for Ben than Markel. I think that the presence of Jimmy Butler is going to uh, really cut. I, I don't think it's going to affect Embiid all that much offensively. I think Embiid's going to get the same touches, the same type of touches. If anything, he's going to get uh, some opportunities from that pick and roll we were talking about with, with yep. Butler. I think Ben's going to have to take a back seat in half court. Um, and I think maybe that, the fact that he's playing off ball and it's more backdoor cuts and uh, secondary actions where he gets you know a kick out and then he creates something with the ball in his hands. Like I think that should we'll see if it does should make ben simmons uh, especially this offseason work more on the jumper because i think it's gonna be more important right him being able to hit even just from like 15 or 16 feet like if he uh is on the baseline and gets uh, is able to just kind of camp out there during an Embiid butler pick and roll like on the weak side and get that that pass if he's open and hit that shot like i think for simmons sake learning how to shoot or just be, being more confident in taking an open jumper is going to be more important for him than it's been to this point. So right. I could have an effect in that way that, uh, like we've talked about, the most important things were like free throw shooting and finishing. Um, mm-hmm. With Butler here, maybe that's not the case. Maybe the jumper is now uh, a more important thing for him to gain. Yeah, and you could always just do what Dwight Howard's been doing, which is just fire off a crazy, ugly jumper and then wipe your hands on your shirt like they were wet for some reason and blame that. <laughs> Like, oh, man, that thing slipped out. Shouldn't have been holding those cold beverages before the game. I got my hands all wet. Sure. Yeah, I definitely I definitely do pull that move and pick up. Yeah. If I if I ever airball anything or it hits the side, like, doesn't hit rim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or I make it very obvious as soon as the ball's left my hand that I know it's going to miss so that it, it seems like I knew that my form was bad. Oh, uh, see, I just did that for every shot because my form is never good. 90% of the shots I take, as soon as I leave my hand, I just go, ah, shit, and start running back the other way. So I don't play that basketball very often. I'm very bad at it. Um, let's see. Purple Sixers asks, uh, what is Elden Brand's next move? Uh, what would we trade Miami's pick for now that we got our superstar without using it? Um, well, that's interesting because I think I talked about this a little bit last week. Or a couple yesterday when we did a pod. Wow, my brain stopped working. Um, it's very interesting to me. I'm I'm very interested to see what does happen with that pick because I don't know how people value that around the league, right? Because yeah, it's a first round pick. That's great. Um, I don't know where people feel like Miami's going to be that year, so where that's going to land. But also the fact that everyone's going to be looking to acquire picks for 2022. And 2023, right? 
Mm -hmm. So in doing that, are they going to think like, well, I'm not going to trade somebody for a a pick from 21. Like I got to get one from the next year or later. So I think the fact that by by adding value to the picks from 22 and 23 now, it kind of devalues the 21 pick. So it has, in my mind, at least it would have less value than any run-of-the-mill first-round pick would before that, right? Like the 2021 Miami first-round pick, no matter, say, say it lands at like 16, right? Just, let's throw a number out there. So the 16 pick in 2021, like a year or two before, to me now has less value than like the 16 pick in 2018 had in 2016, because you're looking at the year after that as the really valuable draft. And if you're going to trade something and get a draft pick back, you're going to try to get one the year after that or the year after that. So I'm very interested to see actually what happens with that because I don't really know how people value that around the league. Yeah, well, I think too that we didn't even really talk about this, but there was a, a part of the Jimmy Butler trade that I don't think factored into why they made the trade, but is a, an added bonus, is it's sort of playing defense against Miami because Miami was one of the teams that was kind of in consideration to trade for Butler or possibly sign him in the summer. Um, so the fact that they're, they're not out of that market, uh, I don't know who they would get who would really improve, uh, who would help them improve in the the time like 2020-21 season. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're kind of at a point where at that point they're, they're – uh, to look at their books, but you basically have a, a bunch of guys coming off the books right before that, uh, and just kind of they're not going to be bad enough to to make any splashy uh, draft picks that are going to like make them an attractive destination, right? Uh, barring any lottery luck, barring lottery luck, they're going to have like the tenth pick, the eleventh pick, the twelfth pick, somewhere in there for the next couple of years, and then. A pretty clean slate, if I remember correctly, in terms of their um, their cap. But you know, I, I think um, I don't know who signs there in 2020 that that makes them um, a realistic threat to to make that pick not a lottery pick, right? Um, so I think there's there's part of it where uh, them you knowing they're not going to get Jimmy Butler has some value, right? Right, and. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it now. They basically have Josh Richardson and Deion Waiters on the books and Justice Winslow, and that's it. Yeah. Um, so they could go out and sign some guys and put together a group, but I think it's harder to do that when you don't have anyone, right? Like right, It's easier exactly. to do that when Dwayne Wade is bringing in his big three because you have a clean book than it is when it's like, oh, you want to come play with Justice Winslow, Deion Waiters, and Josh Richardson making a combined $40 million? Like, probably right, exactly. not. Yeah. Yeah. So. I feel like we neither of us really answered the question, but no, I we gave just the best answer I could. Bunch. Well, yeah, because I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question because of the reasons I gave. You know, so that's where I where I'm at. I, I probably wait. I don't. I don't think there is a next move other than I, I think the rest of the year should be more the uh, the Ilyasova Bellinelli kind of moves where you fill out your your bench, especially at the deadline when teams make it clear. Uh, Either that they are not competing anymore and they're willing to kind of just dump guys, or um, and maybe, maybe this year because you're more of a contender, you're willing to give up a second round pick for um, Bellinelli or Ilyasova or whatever, instead of hoping that you get them in that they're bought out and you get them anyway. Right. Which they were lucky to to get both those players without giving up anything. But maybe you're right, willing exactly. to give up a little bit more value to get whoever that is, Kyle Korver, uh, certainly Trevor Ariza would maybe be that, although the, the money he's making makes it tough to make a trade work. Um, yeah. But 
you know, I think that's those are going to be the moves, right? Like the buyouts that maybe using your your mid level exception, maybe trading for Corver, um, and then I think it's going to be you see how free agency goes um, and go from there, and maybe at that point you consider making a trade with the uh, the Miami pick, unless something comes available, unless like Bradley Beal is all of a sudden on the market, and it, what it takes is Fultz in the Miami pick and something, you know, whatever else right. it is. Like, sure, I would I would do that, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of the questions we got were about the buyout market, about like kind of next next big thing they do, um, whether we think they'll try to get a big four. So we kind of talked about a lot of that. Um, I'm just looking now to see if we got anything that's not that. Uh, a bunch of people were arguing in our, in our <laughs> mentions I'm seeing now about Robert Covington. Oh, um, great. Glad that's still happening. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's I think that's kind of it, honestly. All right. Um, unless there's anything else we uh, we haven't talked about that that's important, we kind of went light on talking about the team recently. Like our, our obviously yesterday was the emergency Butler podcast. Yeah. Uh, so we didn't really talk about recent play today. We didn't really talk about recent play either because I feel like it's kind of pointless. Like the the yeah. dynamic of the team is going to completely change tomorrow. It's a completely unfinished team. Yeah, and like if they had like a gutsy win yesterday, then we'd talk about it a little bit. But they didn't, so <laughs> let's just ignore it for now. With they are playing with a half of a team essentially, an unfinished team, and they will be doing the same thing um, tomorrow. It seems like so. But yeah, then we'll be back. I'd say probably we'll probably be back again after probably like say like two games of Butler in case he like goes off for like seventy five when he first comes right. Yeah, I, I say yeah. At, at least when after a couple games, maybe even after the first, we'll see. We'll yeah. see what happens. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, we'll be we'll be back in the next week, regardless. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, guys, for listening. All right. See ya. to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.